The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Why are South Africa's women at risk, a uh, greater risk of getting HIV? Now, research by scientists at the Center for the AIDS Program of Research in South Africa, Caprisa, has found that women in this country could be biologically predisposed to contracting HIV. Now, their study also seeks to explain reasons why women here are among the world's most susceptible. The findings come hot on the heels of the 7th South African AIDS Conference, where Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa said that um, uh, the occasion was taking place at a critical moment in the struggle against HIV and AIDS and tuberc- tuberculosis. But Ramaphosa said in many ways the country was an at inflection point thanks to the progress that has been made, the partnerships that have been forged, as well as the resources that the country has mobilized to make sure that the fight against AIDS and TB can be won. So uh, just a reminder of that question that we're asking you this morning, why why are South African women most at risk of getting HIV? And as always, the lines are open 891 so you can call in. You can also SMS us on the number 34701, tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Our guest this morning, uh, Dr. Lindy Masson, who is the first author of the research paper. Uh, she's in our Seapoint uh, studio. Thanks for your time this morning, Dr. Masson. It's a pleasure. And with her in the Seapoint studio is Dr. Joanne Passmore, a senior lecturer and medical scientist at the University of Cape Town. Thanks for your time as well. Uh, thanks for inviting us. Now, Dr. Masson, if I could start with you, what was the objective of the study and why was the research done specifically on women? Um, so we're seeing, um, as you mentioned in your introdu- introduction, um, we're seeing extremely high rates of HIV infection, um, particularly in um, the young South African women. So we wanted to um, try to understand um, why these infection rates are so high. Um, Several previous studies have found that um, these um, infection rates can't actually be fully explained by behavioral factors. Um, So the aim of our study was to investigate um, possible biological factors that might be involved. And um, we focus on on inflammation in the female genital tract as a potential risk factor. Um, So what do I mean by inflammation? Um, It's an immune response that's initiated by the body um, to fight infections um, with various pathogens, by various pathogens, um, and also to um, repair any any tissue injuries. Um, What happens is that um, proteins are produced in, in the area of infection, um, and this is followed by a massive um, influx of immune cells that, that come in to, to fight the infection. Um, and with these immune cells, um, um, HIV target cells are also called in. So um, we hypothesized that if a woman had inflammation, um, then she was more likely to have higher numbers of HIV target cells in her genital tract and as a result more likely to become infected with HIV. And this is exactly what we found. Um, so we found that women with um, inflammation in their genital tracts were at much higher risk of becoming HIV infected to compare, compared to women who um, didn't have signs of inflammation. And what exactly do these findings mean you know, for all of us as South Africans? Um, so potentially, I mean, it means that 
we've, you know, with HIV prevention intervention strategies, um, we have been focusing a lot of effort on on modifying behavioural factors, and now we're seeing that um, biological factors might also play a huge role, and it means that we need to um, now find out what's causing this inflammation, um, very importantly, and um, we need to um, develop ways to, to deal with the inflammation um, as well as identify these, these very high-risk women. And if we do this, um, we might actually be able to lower um, HIV infection risk, um, particularly in, in the young women in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Passmore, um, what then uh, do we do as South Africans, as a country, to intervene? Is there anything that we can do uh, to actually, you know, uh, try and deal with this? Um, so I think the, this is an important observation because once you sort of identify the problem, it's easier to um, investigate solutions to the problem. So just knowing that there's inflammation, importantly knowing that um, sexually transmitted infections, which, which were previously thought to be a major driver, can only account for about 22% um, of the inflammation. Um, that's important knowledge. So now that we sort of have this information, um, we can design strategies to better manage inflammation, to understand the causes of inflammation and come up with more innovative um, prevention strategies that are sort of targeted towards South African women. Um, so Caprisa has shared the information with the South African National AIDS Council, um, Medical Research Council and, and other sort of key members um, in government. And um, they're working sort of together with partners to come up with um, lead studies to to tackle the causes of inflammation because once we sort of understand what accounts for the other 80% of in inflammation um, that we, we can't um, identify the cause of at the moment, um, that will be sort of very powerful knowledge. Mm. But, but, but what are some of those causes of inflammation? Um, so so at the moment we looked, we went after the sort of the lead um, candidate causes, which would have been the sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea, um, trichomonas, um, herpes simplex virus 2. Um, and the things that we haven't um, fully unpacked yet are changes in, so they're not sexually transmitted infections, but they're sort of unhealthy vaginal um, flora, like um, bacterial species that just um, shouldn't be in, in the, the genital tract. And um, that's sort of commonly called um, bacterial vaginosis, which can, uh, it sort of just indicates an unhealthy um, microbiome in your genital tract mm. rather than a sexually transmitted infection, although it is sexually associated, it's not sexually transmitted. So sort of the prevailing thinking at Caprice at the moment is to go after, um, you know, strategies to improve um, vaginal health in terms of what the um, bacterial vaginosis situation is. Um, other things that are... So, on so, so just on that score, you know, what does that mean in layman's terms? Does it mean that this is a hygiene factor? What exactly are you saying? So there's, there's a, a lot of researchers all over the world studying what causes bacterial vaginosis. It's not it's not a hygiene factor. It's it's sort of a, a just a dysregulation in um your genital tract. You should have lots of like um lactobacilli in your genital tract and that's sort of considered healthy and it keeps the genital tract pH very low and and um and generally healthy and sort of for 
un, at this moment, we don't really understand why there's a shift in um, healthy to unhealthy flora in the genital tract. And it does sort of seem to fluctuate during a menstrual cycle of a woman. Um, it seems to be associated with having sex, although it's not a hygiene factor. So, you know, I think the jury's out at the moment as to the causes of bacterial vaginosis. But there are sort of very compelling strategies, um, which are sort of a little bit softer, but probiotics or prebiotics to shift the flora back to health, um, looking at hormone contraceptive use because bacterial vaginosis has been associated with certain kinds of hormone contraceptives, um, douching practices. So some women have cleansing practices after sex um, and various products are used um, from, you know, pharmaceutical products to natural products to cleanse. And, and those things have also been shown to alter the flora in the genital tract. So, and, and douching practices um, and hormone contraceptives are independent potential factors that could be associated with inflammation. Um, so that's sort of where the research is leading at the moment. Which is really very, very interesting. But uh, when we look at, um, you know, the uh, prevailing uh, perceptions around HIV and AIDS, um, has much changed over the years, Dr. Masson? Um. Uh, perception, uh, sorry, could you just um, clarify? Well, you know, um, from the, the, the heady old days when it first, you know, came to light and uh, people's um, basic attitudes towards um, not just the disease, but people who had it. Has that changed much over the years? Um, well, I hope so. I think um, you're right. There, there has been a lot of stigma associated with HIV. I think there still is a certain amount of stigma um, I think it's very important to change this perception um, because, I mean, as we're seeing in our studies, it's it's not necessarily becoming HIV infected isn't necessarily associated with with um, behavioural factors, high risk behaviour. Um, it might just be um, inherent biological characteristics of of a person um, that that renders them susceptible to becoming HIV infected. Um, I think. It's, I mean, changing or um, eradicating the stigma around HIV is is a very important, um, an important thing to do um, in this country. It's important that that people are uncomfortable with um, sharing their HIV status, especially with their partners, um, and it's very important that they're comfortable um, um, enough to go to clinics and and seek care and. Um, seek um, antiretroviral therapy because um, HIV-infected people, now that you know, we have such good antiretroviral drugs, can live long, healthy lives. Mm. But, but if we look at the, the current situation, there's still no vaccine, uh, there's still no cure. And um, why aren't scientists any closer in 2015 uh, to developing a cure for uh, the HIV virus which causes AIDS, Dr. Passmore? Um, so... In a couple of years ago, sort of three or four years ago, um, the first successful HIV vaccine trial was conducted in Thailand, and it wasn't it wasn't a hundred percent effective vaccine, but it was thirty one percent, so it reduced um, protection thirty one percent. So I think there have been remarkable gains. It, it is a difficult um, virus to go after in terms of vaccine strategies because it's it's um, it's a very malleable, mutating virus. It's a moving target, so it sort of escapes from um, vaccine-induced immunity. So it has been more difficult for 
um, to, to develop a vaccine um, compared to other vi- viruses like papillomavirus when there's that really potent vaccine available. Um, but I think um, the vaccine community was uh, very excited and um, very focused on the vaccine trial that did work. There was a very um, proactive and rapid um, identification of what the correlates of protection from that vaccine were. So they now know what parts of the immune system were really potent at preventing it. And there's um, a rapid sort of development pipeline to improve on those responses. So um, I, I can't put a number to how many years it will be until we have a vaccine, but it is very encouraging that we're starting to get positive signals. And and then there's obviously been the microbicide trial carried out by Caprisa, which showed um, 39% protection, um, which was also a breakthrough for the field. So we're, we're sort of we've almost at the tip of the <laughs> the problem, and hopefully um, you know these small successes will will lead the way for accelerating strategies that do work. Mm. And then, um, uh, Dr. Masson, uh, you also found that in trying to reduce HIV in young women, um, you might have been barking up the wrong tree by focusing only on trying to change their behavior. Tell us more about that. So I think that um, now that we've um, identified a, a biological factor that that could be um, influencing HIV risk in these young women, um, we now um, need to focus on on trying to understand um, this in, infl- inflammatory response um, and um, identify the causes and, and find ways to to deal with this. So I think um, uh, behavioral factors are are still important. I think you still need to have unpre- unprotected sex with with an HIV infected person to become infected. Um, but what we're seeing is that. If, if a woman has inflammation, then she's at um, over threefold increased risk of, of becoming HIV infected. Um, and we're also seeing particularly high levels of inflammation in, in younger women compared to older women. Um, so, so this is something that, that really needs to be addressed. And I think we need to um, focus research efforts on um, better understanding this, this inflammatory response and um, and also um, developing ways to identify these women importantly. So mm. um, at the moment we're we're working on on developing a test um, that picks up uh, markers of inflammation in the female genital tract. Um, and we um, so we've identified um, three biomarkers and. Um, We've validated this test in several cohorts of women, and we have a, a partnership with a biotechnology company who is going to um, try and develop a, a very simple, inexpensive um, test um, that, that's pro-poor, that can be used um, in rural settings, in clinics throughout South Africa. Um, it's a MRC ship-funded project, um, importantly, so it's funded by the Medical Research Council of South Africa. And um, hopefully this test will then identify these very high-risk women, and then we can focus our prevention efforts on these women. Mm. And uh, the study was conducted in uh, KZN, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, that's correct. Why KZN as opposed to any other province? Uh, why did you focus on that province? Um, so so the HIV infection rates are very, very high in KZN in particular, 
um, and um, even more so in in some of the rural communities there. So um, our study um, was um, involved women who were participating in in a um, the microbicide tri- trial that Joanne mentioned a little while ago, um, and we were um, at the same time as look um, as we were looking to see um, if this microbicide was effective. We were also um, looking at other factors um, that that might be involved in HIV risk. Um, so we we are conducting um, studies in Cape Town and Joburg um, to look at um, the causes of inflammation in the female genital tract. At the moment, um, we don't have HIV as an endpoint um, because these studies need to be very very large studies um, with. Um, a long-term follow-up, um, but hopefully we will be able to expand on this research to other areas of the country. Well, we're going to take um, your calls now on 0891-104-208. That's the call-in number. SMS us to 34701, and I can already see some very interesting questions on my Twitter timeline. We'll come to those in just a moment. Bashir in Lanasia, good morning. Hi, Sakina, and uh, to your guests. Uh, Sakina, look, I don't want to sound skeptical, but really, there appears to be an unhealthy trend, uh, you know, in the medical field nowadays to blame all our negative social consequences on medical factors. You know, for example, now, uh, latest research shows that uh, uh, criminal behavior is really due to some sort of genetic factor, uh, you know, alcoholism, some sort of DNA factor, um, you know, uh, homosexuality, or uh, now, now it's the turn of AIDS, you know. Why aren't we simply honest and say, look, we have behavioral problem. Uh, you know, it's, it's a problem of behavior. Uh, people are too promiscuous. Our uh, two generations ago, our grandparents didn't have this problem. Miraculously, now women have discovered that, that uh, they have this problem when their grannies didn't have the problem. You know, uh, and, and I think it's simply a cop-out. I think um, we need to take responsibility for our behavior. I think all that money, you know, that's going to be spent now on these uh, little kids and so forth, uh, it's going to be wasted money. I, I think we, we need to spend more uh, time, more money advertising, you know, that uh, young men, young women should be more responsible with their behavior. Full stop. All right. right. Thank you so much, Bashir. And KGM seems to concur with Bashir, says uh, we are a gullible nation, a guinea pig nation. All tests, good or bad, are done on us at our expense, and this must stop. Let's get a response from the panel. Um, uh, let me start with you, Dr. Passmore. Um, so I don't think what we've sort of said this morning um, is going to replace, um, you know, the national strategy for abstinence, um, behavior and condoms. It's never sort of been the intention of this kind of research. And there obviously is a lot of national commitment to to consolidating and emphasizing the ABC strategy um, and actually circumcision. So it's ABCC now. Um, and those are very um, those those are obviously the, the the first prize. But human behavior has proven quite difficult to change, and um, I think what we're dealing with is sort of a very sensitive um, part of human behavior that that is maybe a little bit more hard to tackle. Um, so, in line with the ABCC strategy, it's important to look at. Those who become those who are at risk despite those interventions, and that's where this research is really um, critical. Um, So, so it's not a replacement. Um, And I think the sort of the the proven efficacy is a a, the vaccine is our what our goal and what we're going after. And an intervention against HIV should work despite people's behaviour. 
Um, so people should probably practice ABC anyway, um, but a vaccine should work despite um, despite how humans behave. Mm. Um, and and, and the, the skepticism uh, continues here. Um, and this one says, uh, why does it say South African women and not KZN women, uh, Dr. Masson? Um, <clears throat> so although we haven't looked at... Um, HIV as an endpoint in in women in other regions in South Africa, we are also seeing very high levels of inflammation in young women. Um, we're seeing that um, unhealthy vaginal flora is very prevalent. Um, we're also seeing um, a high prevalence of of sexually transmitted infections. Um, so, so we're thinking that this is not something that's unique to KZN women, although. Um, up until now, we've only conducted the study in KZN. We will be looking to um, um, confirm this, um, that this applies to other populations as well. And was this a, a specific population and community as such? You know, um, was it across the racial divide? You know, who actually formed part of the study? Um, so this was two communities in KZN. Um, it was a rural community and an urban community as well. Um, and we didn't find any differences between the two communities. And um, the study cohort was um, primarily black Zulu. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we are asking why are South African women most at risk of contracting HIV? And uh, speaking to uh, Dr. Lindy Masson, um, who uh, was uh, uh, the first author of the research paper uh, by Caprisa, who came up with uh, these findings that we are discussing, and also joined by Dr. Joanne Passmore, Senior Lecturer and Medical Scientist at the University of Cape Town. So the lines are open. Let's go back uh, to uh, the callers to find out what they want to know, what they have to ask and perhaps just general comments about uh, what we are discussing this morning. Uh, Raman Dungwane in Tswane, good morning. Morning. This is exciting for any researcher. And South African should actually accept this and open, with, with open arms. I mean, we have to look into the causes holistically. And I, I like the fact that the emphasis that we have focused on behavioral change. Now, if we're still having uh, uh, infections, I think that it's continuing, then we need to move. I'm wondering as well that shouldn't we not only focus on the vaginal part because of we know of the mutation of the of, of the virus. I, I do not know that the, the 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 doctors and the researchers will tell us the the um, the, the lactobacillus can it be affected by I don't know dermatology. I mean today women are using all creams uh, all creams of all sorts for their skins and hair and all that. Can also that make the, the virus weak, the, the, the good virus that should be there in the regional area weak, and then okay. therefore it can also cause the inflammation. All right, thank you so much for that, Ramadungwane. Uh, let's go to Nomonde in Rondebosch. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for this excellent program that's understandable by ordinary people like us. Um, I need to know whether uh, there's been research in this little program or big research program included in aware of different levels of sanitation and access to clean drinking water, have social determinants like our rights to sanitation, clean drinking water, especially children's rights, which are not yet fulfilled to all those things. 
is that having an effect on a greater incidence of HIV? And thank you for emphasizing ABC and adding the extra C, circumcision. Our family has been circumcising for generations. Thank you. More babies. Thank you so much, Nomone in Rondebosch. Mboneni uh, in Durban, good morning. Uh, uh, good morning, Sakina. How are you? Well, and you? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, uh, and and I, I've actually listened. I've also listened to the, the, the outcome of the study uh, as presented by your, by your guest there. And what I want to, to indicate, uh, Sakina, is that there is actually nothing new that the study is actually telling us uh, as South Africans. We, we know very well that there's been a lot of studies and, 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 and outcome of those studies uh, indicating the prevalence of HIV and AIDS as, 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 as high in modern attack. The only problem that I'm having uh, is the, 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 the cohort or the targeted group uh, that, that, that the study was done. Uh, the lady there says that it was uh, focusing mainly to black Africans and in particular the Zulus. Is there any specific reason why it had to be Zulus and not Tosas and not Indians and not others in the area where the statue was being done? Thank you very much, Sakin. Thanks, Mboneni in Durban. Um, let's answer those questions and then we'll come back and take a few more. Um, um, uh, uh, Dr. Masson? Um, okay, so firstly to address the first question about um, using creams and products that might influence um, the colonization with, with lactobacillus bacillus species in, in the female genital tract. Um, I think that, it, I mean, it has been shown that um, intravaginal cleansing with, with various substances um, as well as um, intravaginal insertion of substances um, is associated um, with bacterial vaginosis or unhealthy flora. Um, so it's very important to maintain um, the microenvironment um, in the female genital tract. Um, the lactobacilli um, dominate there, and um, they produce all sorts of substances, and they make the pH um, quite acidic. And um, these substances and this acidic pH um, is protective against um, not only HIV but other STIs as well. Um, so I think that modifying um, certain hygiene practices, um, so these practices are... Um, are performed um, in order to, you know, as for personal hygiene reasons, and they're performed to clean. Um, but I think that um, modifying these practices um, might actually um, reduce the occurrence of bacterial vaginosis and um, unhealthy flora in in um, African women, um, where these kinds of practices have actually also been found to be um, quite common. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to also add um, that the sort of the vagina is is a microenvironment that's very sort of influenced by things that you would do to in that region. So creams and, and gels and cleansing practices in the vagina would sort of influence the microbiome there. But if you were sort of to in, use cream on your face or your hands, um, you know, they, they're completely disconnected environments and there's very specific um, bacteria that would be in the vagina that you wouldn't find anywhere else. I don't sort of think 
you know, general um, cosmetic application of creams on your skin would influence it at all. Mm. But, but but are you therefore saying that, uh, you know, um, women should, you know, stay away from applying stuff, uh, you know, um, down there in their vaginas, etc.? Yes. Um, so I think there sort of are a lot of products on the market um, that and, and products on the market and sort of household um, traditional ways of cleansing that um, possibly should be revisited and there needs to be sort of some education um, campaign around, you know, appropriate versus um, mm. less appropriate ways of cleansing. And what about lubricants? So I think the lubricant market have done some research and lubricants are traditionally used with condoms and traditionally seen to be um, so so depending on the composition of the lubricant and most of the lubricant manufacturers would have to have gone through some kind of regulatory process and lubricants are used sort of as vehicles for microbicides as well um, and they've shown to be sort of um, toler- tolerated and not inflammatory um, so I think sort of in terms of lubricants um, they're probably a good thing to have because they they lubricate and they sort of um, reduce the amount of friction, thinking crudely, I suppose. Yeah, and, and reduce um, abrasions in the female genital tract, um, which are also which are also associated with increased risk of HIV infection. Um, so um, rough sex or anything that um, might kind of um, disrupt the the barrier, the epithelial. There's a barrier of, of epithelial cells. Um, actually allows um, HIV to penetrate um, further, deeper into the the female genital tract and access um, more immune cells. So lubricants, I think, would actually be um, quite important. All right. Um, I also just want to look at uh, many of our listeners, um, uh, like Nomonde, raising the issue of uh, the socioeconomic conditions that may uh, also impact on what we are seeing. Um, sanitation, Nomonde raises, and clean drinking water. Um, uh, did your study go uh, that far as to find out, you know, what the sort of impact of that is? So, so that sort of part of the um, research at Caprice is out of the sort of skill set of Lindy and I, but we had, you know, the very detailed behavioral um, socioeconomic questionnaire um, was included in the study, and we do have information on sort of household income, um, access to sanitation, and we did look at other um, factors um, from behavioral and socioeconomic um, factors that could influence our finding, and none of those came up as being a significant contributor to genital inflammation. So I'm not sure those are the right tools to answer that kind of question, but um, we did look at many of the behavioral and socioeconomic um, contributors to inflammation, and, and that, that really didn't come out as as, um, as an important... Um, but, I mean, I'm not sure what kind of indicator um, other than sort of household income and um, rural versus urban, um, there were sort of a number of other social um, indicators, um, but I don't think information on sort of dirty water, but I think it's sort of in that same package of information and it didn't sort of seem to influence genital tract inflammation. And then um, Boneni was very unhappy about the fact that you focused on Zulu-speaking uh, women, Zulu women, as it were, uh, for this particular study. And uh, perhaps you can talk him through your reasons for that. Um, so Caprisa is um, an NGO based at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, and it has um, clinical partnerships with communities around um, the Durban 
area and um, it's been invited into those communities um, by community leaders and it's supported by the community leaders um, in KZN um, because there is such a high burden of disease in young women in that region. So Caprice's research focus is those women and and it's in partnership with um, community leaders. Um, I'm based at the University of Cape Town. I work very closely with Caprice and I'm, I'm part of the Caprice um, um, consortium, um, but I do research in Cape Town and I, I partnered with people um, that do research in Johannesburg and those communities, um, we're conducting similar research in non-Zulu non-black um, women as well um, because obviously you don't want to, you know, we sort of see this as a, a, a benefit to have this kind of information and design infl- uh, interventions specifically for this problem, um, but it is important to know um, that whether this phenotype of inflammation is a generalized thing around South Africa and that it's not restricted to certain um, groups of women. Um, so, so we are conducting that research, but because of where Caprice is based and because it's, it's, it has this very strong um, community link with um, the community in Vullendela and um, the city of Durban, that, that's, that's dictated who's enrolled in the study. Well, let's go back to the lines. 891 John, you're in Bramfontein. Good morning. Morning, Sakina. Sorry, man, maybe to just bring another dimension to your topic. I'm just worried about the effect of male circumcision to HIV and AIDS infection. And I think maybe in some future you need to, you know, hold some discussion around it. But just a quick comment. Uh, generally, the male-to-female infection is high, and, and that could be a contributing factor other than, you know, the vaginal makeup that your guests have been talking about. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, John. Opa and Togoza. Yes, Adina. <clears throat> it's only just one little comment um, and a question. What happened or what would the research that was conducted by a guest, does it include how people used to survive before this thing was discovered? That's one part of it. But the second one is, you know, when a survey and research was done on micro, see what, what, this micro something, uh, gel, um, young women were used to SS guinea pigs to test, and most of them were not even HIV positive at that time. And after they've been released to go and, or allowed to go and have some interfaces with individuals, some of them were infected. And one of them is my sister, who was given only 150 rand, and today she's suffering, and she was given only three days to live at that time at Bara. And she's struggling so much. So I'm not so sure in terms of their procedures, whether they do have an insurance for people that they're going to use, and if there is money packaged for them, um, how do they go by doing all those things? And okay. I was not even happy about the response given in terms of usage of African women in terms of all this um, Test. Thanks. Opa, before you go, let me just understand. So you are saying your sister um, uh, was HIV negative? Yes, at the time of when they were giving those gels. And then later she discovered that she's HIV positive and she went to Bara. And Bara doctors told her that she only had three days to live 
but that's even until today. And this trauma of having to go through all that process really counted so negatively in her life. And uh. there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing um, those guys did, including even to give her the counseling and so forth. She had to learn for herself because um, she was just decided or just classified as an outcast. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, sorry about that ordeal, Opa. Thanks for sharing with us, though. Um, let's get back to our panel, but um, maybe let me read through some messages um, that you can also respond to. Um, this one from Jack says uh, he also wants to know from the doctors as to um, the circumcision and the impact of that says, does a circumcised unhygienic penis contribute to women getting HIV more easily? Um, And then there's another one here says, maybe also because nobody gives clear information to teenagers. uh, They don't need to have sex so young. uh, You can get HIV and treatment has horrible side effects if that's the message we're giving to young people. Sarah Mahoba in Fiakral says, uh, women are highly at risk because of older men having sexual relationships with younger girls. They use money and resources to lure these girls. Imagine a 70-year-old with a 25-year-old. These girls uh, do not have a say regarding the use of condoms because they don't want to anger their bread and butter. And Warren in Durban says, greetings. Has the use of uh, talcum powder as an irritant been looked at as well? So just throwing that in um, for you too. Um, uh, Dr. Passmore? Um, so um, maybe I can sort of start with the um, the, the most um, compelling um, call that we had um, about um, the caller's sister being part of the microbicide trial. Mm. And I mean, I think both Lindy and I are sitting here. It, it's it's terrible, and it's I mean, you know, we it's heartbreaking. But um, I think the issue is the in-trial conditions when you are participating in a trial. There is um, easy and regular access to counselling and testing for HIV and um, and maybe this is sort of another indicator of um, regular, you know, having more sort of regular, um, I know the, the government is rolling out um, testing, treating facilities where people can have more regular access to um, HIV testing facilities so that they can know their status and um, get access to health care much um, quicker so that you, do, you don't end up at Baraguanath, um with a very low CD4 count by the time you, you realise um, that there is infection. Um, in terms of... Um, Maybe I can sort of deal with the the circumcision and mm-hmm. the fact that circumcision is a very effective way of um, protecting uh, men. And I mean, they've found in sort of several very large studies conducted in, in various places around the world, including South Africa, that if you are circumcised, um, you can um, um, protect, well, you have about 60% protection against getting HIV infection um as a male, um, but that sort of now um, know that that sort of rolls out to things like papillomavirus as well, which is sort of the leading cause of, of um, cervical cancer in women. So there is evidence that circumcision may be good for women too because um, male partners would have lower um, STR rates um, for other very common STRs. Um, and I, I think sort of if you've got an unhygienic 
penis, whether it's circumcised or not circumcised, um, it, it probably isn't good for the female and it would be associated with things like bacterial vaginosis. Um, so maybe I can hand over to Lindy to answer the other questions. And then uh, let me throw in a few more here for you, Lindy. Um, another SMS says, information or not, you still need sexual behavior to get exposed to HIV in the first place. And um, Ambrogino says, uh, the most untalked about issue is the high alcohol intake, which also leads to vulnerability. Um, <clears throat> so I think... Um, The first question that we had a while ago um, was about um, male to female infection rates um, being quite high. So I just wanted to comment on that. Um, So biologically, um, the female genital tract um, represents a larger surface area um, um, that HIV has access to um, and is able to um, potentially penetrate and create infection. And also um, HIV is is carried in in the ejaculated semen. Um, where it then sits in the in the female genital tract, um, providing the opportunity for HIV then to establish an infection. Um, so biologically, I think the female genital tract is um, a lot more conducive um, to um, establishing HIV infection. Um, and then there was the, uh, a comment about um, younger women um, having sex with, with older men, mm-hmm. and um, this has been considered as... Um, one of the potential reasons for the high rates of HIV infection um, seen in young women. It's a bit con- controversial at the moment. Um, I think um, there's a recent study that that has suggested that that this might not actually be the driving factor for the high rates of infection in young women. Um, and in some of the communities that we're looking at, um, we're not finding um, a- any evidence for this um, um, so-called sugar daddy, um, these sugar daddy relationships. Um, so there are definitely a lot of other factors at, um, at play. Um, behavioural factors are are important, and I completely agree that um, you do need to have sex with an HIV-infected person to um, to sexually acquire HIV. Um, but what we're really interested in is why are are rates of infection so high in South Africa? Because um, people are having sex all over the world, um, unprotected sex. Um, South African teenagers are not necessarily more promiscuous than um, teenagers in other countries in the US and Europe. Um, And this, our finding that that these young South African teenagers and and young women um, have these high levels of inflammation um, is really a a good lead. Um, It it provides a, a strong evidence um, for for a biological um, important biological factors mm. that that might be um, playing a big role uh, let's just take the last two callers very briefly uh, John in Johannesburg good morning okay struggling with that one let's go to Sachwayo um, good morning good morning Sakina I just wanted to ask you know with these, uh, you know, surveys, they do, you know, the test, like the one for my microbicide uh, that Opa was talking about, and the lady there did mention it earlier. What I know is that they were doing it here at Kwashabisa, that uh, test, uh, you know, for uh, by microbicide. And from what I know, that whole group of women that they 
you know, engaged there, were all ultimately, you know, infected with AIDS. Now, what I, what I want to find out now, in terms of, you know, their research, do they factor in, you know, those facts that at some, you know, instances when they do these uh, 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 studies of their own, uh, we end up with people infected with AIDS, which, okay. you know, do they factor that in? Thank you so much, Satchwayo uh, in Mandini. John in Johannesburg. Um, morning, Sakina. Morning to your guests and listeners. Um, Sakina, uh, my contribution will be that of much of a devil's advocate. It may not help, or it may help for those who may apply the information. With regards to uh, male infection of HIV, there is a practice, well-researched, well-established, that it does help, but it doesn't help the women. Um, after having sex for a man who is circumcised, if you urinate within the first 10 minutes of after having sex and probably mm-hmm. wash your penis uh, with probably something like soap and all that, that reduces within the first 10 minutes, that reduces the rate of um, contracting HIV or contracting any other venereal disease. But I think with regards to women... Where, 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 where do you get that from, John? Um, Google it. If you Google it, you'll see that. You see it. <laughs> but okay. the thing is this. If you, if you start procrastinating, sorry, if you, if you start propagating that, I think uh, male will definitely infect women, women the more. Wow. John in Johannesburg. Oh, okay. Um, Dr. Masson? Um, so to, to address the first question, um, yes, in these um, HIV prevention studies, um, in, including the microbicide studies, um, we do see um, breakthrough HIV infections because, unfortunately, the microbicides aren't um, 100% protective. Um, we have, however, found that, um, well, the tenofovir microbicide in particular um, if women use it properly, it reduces their risk of HIV infection by over 50%, um, which is, is a, a substantial decrease in, in HIV risk. Women participating in the trials are, are also encouraged to um, ask their partners to use condoms, and they're encouraged um, to... Um, they're, they're given risk um, behavioral um, reduction counselling, um, in order to to reduce their risk, they're also um, they visit the clinics regularly and they're given treatment if they have symptoms of of any STIs. Um, so so everything is done um, to try and um, prevent their um, them becoming HIV infected. Um, we use all the tools that we have at the moment. Um, unfortunately, we just don't have. Um, anything well, other than condoms and abstinence um, that will um, entirely protect a woman from becoming HIV infected. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. We're going to have to leave it there. Dr. Lindy Masson and Dr. Joanne Passmore, thanks for your time this morning. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.